Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen and today on The Detail. Our school attendance rates are on the slide and have been exacerbated by COVID-19. In Term 1 last year, fewer than 50% of students regularly attended school. Education ministry figures show serious truancy spiked last year. The attendance service dealt with nearly 29,000 cases, uh, not children, 40% or 8,500 more than in 2021. More than 90,000 children missed two or three weeks of class each term. More kids are missing more school, and the government's stepping in. Hot off the press this morning, the government has just announced a $74 million package, including 82 new attendance offices to get kids back to school. They have a slightly different focus to what we've known attendance offices to have in the past. They will be working with the young people who are at risk of chronic attendance, so those who have moderate attendance rates at the moment, and we want them to to stop that falling attendance in that group of young people. But is it the answer? There's already opposition. One principal saying he has no faith in the approach to truancy. I heard the words truancy officers and attendance services and they've never worked and they never will work. What we got today was a knee-jerk scrambled response to a very bad statistic rather than the comprehensive package that we need that empowers schools to make decisions based on the needs of their community. So why are school attendance rates dropping and what's the best way to turn them around? Jace Williams is a principal of Henry Hills School in Napier and he deals with these issues every day. We've done really well as far as attendance goes. Historically, we kind of sit around anywhere between 90 and 92% for a school from a low socioeconomic area, Um, but definitely noticed the difference in the past 18 months to two years where um, that percentage has dropped um, quite a bit. Can you just set me the scene, tell me about your school, where you're at, what kind of students come to your school? We have around 78% Māori, about 10% Pacifica, about 10% Young European and 2% other ethnicities, uh, mostly Asian. And um, yeah, a community can be a very tough place to grow up and live. Our school is physically located in Onikawa. Um, however, at the back gate of our school, if you walk through that back gate, you're in the suburb of Pitimai. Um, So we're in the middle of two suburbs, but the majority of our children come from uh, Marainui. So Marainui is a very young suburb, so it has a, a median age of around 27, so very young families. It's a very poor suburb with um, median income per adult of just over $20,000 per annum. High levels of physical and violent harm incidents are recorded there. The majority of those happen during daylight hours. So again, that, that's the community that our kids come from. A number of our whanau at our school um, are connected to um, the mongrel mob. It's historical. It's, they've been in our community for a long time. There's a real lack of trust in the system. And when I say system, I'm talking about governments. I'm talking about Ministry of Social Development, Oranga Tamariki, uh, New Zealand Police. And that, that just comes from years of intergenerational trauma, I guess, that's been transmitted and passed on. And everything just appears to be another layer on top of. So when COVID hit a couple of years ago, that was just another layer that a community had to deal with on top of all the other stuff they deal with. And then with the flooding in 2020... A local state of emergency was declared last night after extreme flooding swept through the city. That destroyed three-quarters of the buildings at our school. That was another layer. 
and now with the cyclone a couple of weeks ago. It's hard to comprehend the devastation caused by Cyclone Gabrielle across Hawke's Bay. Thousands are displaced and whānau are struggling to reconnect with loved ones as power, internet and cell phone service are still patchy for many. It just adds another layer. How do you actually measure attendance? Obviously you have to physically be here to attend. Attendance is taken before 9.15 every morning, so at 9.15 we already have a gauge of who's here and who's not. And then our office admin spends considerable time tracking down those children who aren't here just from a, from a health and safety perspective, because if they're not here, then where are they? So that, that's how we track the attendance. Um, and that, that attendance then goes into a system that is linked in with the Ministry of Education so they can also monitor and, and pull out data from that system. Is, is there a kind of threshold? Like what counts as regular attendance at schools? Yeah, I believe it's 90% of 90%. So if a child attends 90% of 90% of the days, it's something like that. But 90% is literally... One day away every fortnight. Right, and that's not ideal, is it? Yeah, that's well. That well, in a forty-week school year for primaries, that's twenty days. Twenty days is literally four weeks of school. It's almost half a term mislearning. It's a lot of learning. Right. Okay. So you said that a few years ago, or recently, your rates were sitting about ninety, ninety-two percent. Have you seen that drop off in recent years? Have you? Yeah, it's dropped off in the last year by about eight or nine percent. Which, which is quite considerable, really, considering we, we've stuck over that 90% for my entire tenure here, which is over 10 years. So to drop below 90% is quite a big deal. And, and it dropped once COVID hit. I mean, we started last year in 2022. We started the school year with half our school wearing masks. So it was our older children and all our staff. And that directive came down, I think only a day or two before school went back in in February. Well, many schools and kura across the Motu are starting back for the year today. Staff are battling how to enforce mask mandates and are dealing with a tsunami of information on how to cope with Omicron creeping into the community. So that was a big change. So with those kind of changes, you start bringing in, like I said earlier, for a community that already has a lack of trust in the system, you know, people started being heavily influenced in our community by social media, you know, whereas you and I perhaps gather our information from, you know, TV news and newspapers and the radio. A lot of our community information comes via places like Facebook. So if someone like a stranger posts something on Facebook and they they connect with it on a social and emotional level, that becomes fact, whether it's fact or not, it becomes reality for that whanau. And then they're likely to share that post with other whānau who also probably don't get information the way you and I do. And then it just becomes like this bush telegraph that goes around the community. I mean, the worst the worst one we saw was last year, there, there was a rumour going around that it got shared in lots of schools across the country that schools um, have the authority to inject your children with the vaccine. And that went across lots of places that you know, they can, we can use like the police or army to enforce it and we don't have to tell um, whānau. So ridiculous things like that become fact when they start to get spread through social media. So social media, I believe, has quite a big impact on that bigger picture of attendance. Let's get a perspective from Northland, which has had some of the lowest attendance rates in the country. In Term 1 last year... Only a third of students were regularly in class. Patsy Henderson-Watts leads the Miriam Centre in Whangarei, a counselling service helping tamariki and rangatahi all over Northland. In her words, she works with everything sad. 
when you say that you work in the field of everything sad, I, I do have to ask, what do you mean? What What is everything sad? Uh, well, I mean, that's a little bit of a, um, it's actually a lovely job. It's a fun job. It's a great job, or I wouldn't stay. Um, we work with the, the downstream behaviours of situations of disadvantage and poverty and disaffection and alienation and everything where people are left out. What are some of the reasons that kids you've worked with, what are some of the reasons they don't want to go to school, they don't go to school? Uh, I do think start with COVID has made a big difference because we all got out of the habit of getting up and going to work or working from home or, or not going to school. And so... Um, and getting jobs in that time, low-paid jobs, is, um, to help with the family. Um, so that, that is a, quite a big reason. I think that's probably compounded what was already happening and made it more, more widespread problem. Things like uniforms can also be a barrier for children attending school. Uniforms are just so expensive. I have no idea why we just don't let people go to the Wadifuddy and get a $5 T-shirt and pair of black jeans you know but school uniforms at the beginning of a term a horrendous price and and families get into debt with um wins because they have to borrow to buy the school uniforms now you know wouldn't it be sensible to not have to pay 56 dollars for something or other uh, or have to you know why do we all have to look the same i think there's so many things that keep kids out of school and that's why we need to sit down as, as a community, small communities, and we need to look at, okay, what do our kids need to thrive? That's the question. We don't need really any more thinking about it or talking about what, why do people truant. We know a million reasons. Any, anybody can work it out. But what we know is what is the solution? And the solution is... It's like the solution to youth crime. What's what's the solution to that? It's getting these kids, finding out what makes them tick, finding out what's wrong, and sticking in there with them until they're proud and they're doing okay. And often that's in the family and it's in housing and it's in food. You know, we provide food frequently. We, we buy clients food when they desperately need it you know because you go to the official places and you you know you've had too much and they won't give you any more which I understand the reasons for that so I think what we're looking at is this your the detail should be about what is the solution rather than why one of the solutions is the government's recent announcement of more funding for truancy officers, or attendance officers as they call them. This morning the government announced a $74 million attendance package with a focus on moderate truants. It boosts the attendance service to reach about 3,000 more of the most serious truants and establishes a new role, the attendance officer. Education Minister Jan Tanetti says the 82 officers will target those missing 20 to 30% of their classroom time. Does Patsy think the solution hits the mark? The solution is very easy in my book. It's not very glamorous. This money would be brilliant if it could go into wraparound services led by the school. Do you think the money's being put in the right place? Do you think having more truancy officers, attendance officers is a good decision? I, I've seen truancy officers and services come and go. So I'm, I'm no expert on that, and, and they probably are, are a good extra bit. But I think 
if they're part of a team, not a separate like police service, I just think this team, community team, should involve the principals, the staff, the community, the mums and the dads, the nans, the, the kōruas that, that really know these kids and where the problems might be. So there's also a campaign going on in Northland called Let's Get to School Tai Tokolo. Yes. Thank you, Mum, for doing my hair and making my lunches in the morning. The social media campaign is a series of videos of kids saying why they like school. I'd like to thank my nan for taking me to school so I can learn maths and fractions. What do you think about that campaign? What I've seen, it's brilliant. It's really worked and I think it's it, it, they're probably if you talk to whoever's involved with that doing exactly what I, I'm talking about it's so solution focused it's actually they care they get stuck in it's wrapped around everybody works as a team but based in the school the school like in the olden days the schools were the hub of the community there was the you know the swimming pool and the tennis court and everybody went there and and the principal was sort of the life and soul of the community We've got a modern version, 2023. And if something works, is working, not being sung about, but actually quietly got on with it and worked, then that's where we should be putting the 75 million, surely, only enlarging it. Back to Jace Williams. What does he think about working with attendance officers? I, I guess in, in lots of ways, there's been a... Disempowered, I think, is the best way to put it. I think about when I first started teaching, which was many years ago, you know, attendance services were kind of sorted out. Um, and now they are just as powerless as we are, I guess, that if we can't find the fun, we'll go around, knock on the door, we've rung it, we've tried all the things, we pass it on to them. It's the same story. So I, I think they definitely don't have the power they had before. You know, the, a whanau may say to them, this is the reason we're not attending, attending school. Let's, let's say the whānau says, okay, we're not coming to school because my child had an issue with another child in the class. Truancy will ring us up and tell us that that's not the case at all because there's no, no dramas there. So then we're kind of just stuck. So sometimes whānau are very good at telling stories and making up narratives that aren't true, but they can also disengage from the service. So very limited in the kind of power, I guess, that they have. Do you think that the truancy officers having, you know, a bit more money behind them, a bit more kind of say it might be better? Oh, there'll be some positive impact, but I don't think it's going to fix, it's not going to fix the issue or the problem. But there, there will be some kids, some whānau, where they'll get them back to school because of that service, definitely. But as far as that greater impact, I, I don't think so, but I also don't know what the answer is either. <laughs> yeah, well, what what kind of things could make the greater impact? I mean, you say you don't know the answer, but what kind of things do you think as a school principal could make that impact? Well, not as a school principal, I do know it's, it's rare. It has happened on occasions, though. But there are stories of some whānau where their benefit has been stopped if the child wasn't regularly attending school. And in that instance, because I've seen it happen here, in that instance, that child started attending school regularly and did so for many, many months. And then for whatever reason, that pattern crept back in again and then the benefit was stopped again, and that child returned to school for many, many months. So for that particular child in whānau, that intervention definitely made a difference. So I'm not I'm not advocating for people's benefits to be cut, but for that particular family, that was the difference in that child not coming to school and then that child attending school. But it's also about making it a, more, uh, a better environment for the kids at, at school, as you say, is it? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I'm not saying things are broken anywhere else, but, I'm, but just... 
making it attractive. Um, I mean, for in our community, what do our kids love the most? They love kapaka, pacifica, choir, rock band, sports. So part, part of being involved in those kind of programs is good attendance. Like if you're, if you're not someone that comes to school, then you're not going to be at practices and rehearsals, right? So we purposely schedule some of those programs for Mondays and Fridays. It's something we've always done. Let's schedule them for the days that perhaps children aren't going to be here. And it has made a difference. Our kapaka groups we've got, well, we're a school of 300 kids and there's over 100 kids involved in, in kapaka, um, about 50 kids involved in Pacifica, about 25 to 30 kids in choir. Rock band's a bit small because you can only fit so many kids on stage, but there's about seven kids in that. So that's a large chunk of our school involved in those cultural slash arts programs that we purposely schedule for those particular days. And, and same with sports. You know, we schedule our rugby practice on a Friday. We schedule our basketball on a Monday. The sports our kids love the most. We make sure those practices are on days. And, and that, I'm sure that has to help somewhere along the line. We don't have any data or evidence to support it, but those programs are full and the kids turn up. So it's about having those extra co-curricular activities and making a big deal of them, maybe? I, I think so. I think it's knowing, knowing the culture of your school and what, what your kids are into, and then you, you make sure those things are there. And it's been a bit of a rocky start to the year attendance-wise at Henry Hill School. It's interesting because we, we came back to school the end of our first week back. Um, we were over 90%, and then it drops because of this weather event. I, I, I would think as long as nothing else happens this week, I th- we'll, be, we'll be closer to 90%. And I predict probably next week we'll get back to over 90%. How do you kind of keep it that high? What are you doing at your school uh, to keep it at about that 90 level? I guess in lots of ways, try not to be to be school because for so many people, school has that negative connotation. If you think back intergenerationally for Māori and trauma, um, you know, my dad was of the generation that was smacked at school for speaking to the Māori. So my dad didn't value education in any kind of way for the rest of his life after that. Fortunately for me, that, that, that part wasn't transmitted on, but there is just, again, that lack of trust in how the system kind of work. So we, we've just tried to be unschooled as possible and, and just make make learning that natural pro- process that it is here, make it fun. Well, how can you unschool school? <laughs> by not listening to the Ministry of Education, by just doing what we know is responsive to the community. Um, so we were one of the schools that way back, and I'm talking way, way back, um, we invested in digital technology then. We were one-to-one iPads across the school. We were rewarded by Apple. We became an Apple Distinguished School. The trauma-informed practice that, that we have here, and we won our Prime Minister's Education Excellence Award for it, that is really just about being responsive and thinking outside of the box to best support the social and emotional learning needs of students. So we just try to make it cool and fun. We kind of thought, if you were a seven- or eight-year-old boy, what should school be like? And we've made it like that. And the kids love coming to school. I think it's just making it fun. Like We have a slack line at school between two trees. It's having safe risk at school. Kids can climb trees still and play ball rush and all that kind of stuff that we grew up on at school that we haven't taken away all those fun fun elements. I mean, I spent some time last week at a, at a bunch of ECE, some kindies in Timaru down south. And what was interesting to me is that all these kids are diving off stuff and landing on their face and they're developing all this resilience. But kids generally get to school and it stops. There's just so many rules at school. So we provide a safe environment, but there's, there's elements of risk where kids can build resilience. So I think that's what we're doing, that's making school fun for kids. 
That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell, and our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Jace Williams and Patsy Henderson-Watt. Ma tewa. Ma tewa.